What should I believe about baptism and communion? How fundamental are the fundamentals? We have chosen two passages for our reading, both written by the Apostle Paul, because like no other person, Paul was selected to give instruction to the church on these very foundational matters. Not only baptism and communion, but salvation, sanctification, and other great subjects. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not, but the Lord Jesus Christ condensed the Ten Commandments of Exodus 20 into two. He did this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When he said, they're all summed up in these two things. One, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And number two, thou shalt love thy neighbor no matter how ugly, no matter how mean, no matter how ornery. Everybody said, not everybody said it, but <laughs> quite a few. He said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh, wow. All of the commandments summed up in two. Now, following that line of thought, we discover that he took all of the ordinances of the Old Testament, and there were hundreds of them, and he summed them up in two. Baptism and communion. And I'm so glad he did it that way. I would really hate to have to go back in Leviticus and live out all of those ordinances. I would hate to have to bring goats or lambs or chickens to an altar and spread their blood for the remission of my sin. I'm glad that Jesus became once for all the sacrifice for all men. And I am very happy that he summed up all of those ordinances for me in two. Do these and live. Be baptized and observe my death by communion. The first century church obviously kept these ordinances, and they kept them well. They broke bread together, and they observed water baptism. What should I believe, therefore, about baptism and communion? First of all, let us look at baptism, and I want to take it in this form. Number one, look at the word baptize itself. In the original language, it means to submerge. It means to go under. That's what it means. You can find no other meaning to the word baptize, and if you want to check something, you will find that word 74 times in the New Testament, meaning submerge. You will find the word baptized 22 times in the New Testament. You will find the word sprinkle always connected with blood, never with baptism. 
such as Hebrews 9.13. You will just not find that word in connection with the ordinances of the New Testament church. It's always baptized or baptized. Now the second thing I would like for you to examine with me is what baptism is not. Sometimes it helps to understand what something is by examining what it is not. First of all, it is not a substitute for the new birth. Now we can prove that from Scripture. Going into a baptismal tank or a river or a lake or a swimming pool or a jacuzzi to be baptized doesn't make anybody a Christian. No more than going into a garage will turn you into a car. It just doesn't work that way. Salvation comes by faith and before water baptism. Now here's the scripture, Mark 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Believing always precedes the baptism. It is not a substitute for the new birth. What Jesus said is still true. You must be born again. Secondly, it is not for infants. Now don't throw your hands up in the air and get all mad. We're looking at what the Bible says about baptism, and it's important for the salvation of our souls to understand this because we can be very misled and deluded if infants are baptized and they grow and a parent says, you were baptized so you're all right, and they go to hell. What a terrible thing! Because they were told that everything was okay when they were not okay. All right, you say, you've got me mad, now give me some proof. All right, don't turn me off. Acts 8, 37 ought to be proof. When the eunuch was ministered to by Philip, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest be baptized. This followed a big question. It was the question of the eunuch to Philip, the evangelist. What hinders me from being baptized? The answer again, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. What does this imply? It implies, of course, consciousness of sin. A person must know that he's a sinner. He must then turn from that sin and present himself to an administrator to be baptized as a confession or a profession of that faith. An infant cannot do that. What is it then? Well, it's an act of faith on the part of the parent. I'll never take that away from the parent. It is an act of faith on the part of the parent whether you call it infant baptism or infant dedication or whatever, the parent is saying, God, I want you to touch this life, but let us never tell them that they were saved and they're going to heaven just because they were baptized when they were infants. That's terrible. That's a misnomer. And that could be deadly. 
I mean eternally deadly. Third thing it is not, it is not to be delayed. Acts 16.33 finds Paul and Silas with a Philippian jailer. They had been incarcerated. They sang and prayed at midnight, and God sent an earthquake and shook the doors so that everybody could be released. And the jailer, fearing that they were gone, was ready, was ready to take his life when Paul sprang forth and said, Do thyself no harm, we are all here. And he said, What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And he repented of his sin and embraced Christ, and he turned and washed the stripes on their backs that he had put there earlier. Isn't that great? That's what salvation does for you. It makes enemies your friends. And it causes you to do what Jesus said, love them as you love yourself. And here's that jailer, now a convert, washing the stripes on the backs of Paul and Silas. And then, immediately, it says, he and all his family were baptized. Immediately, same night. Somehow, there has been a rumor being spread around that it doesn't really matter when you're baptized, just so long as you're baptized. I think it does matter. You see, when you're not baptized immediately, the devil moves in and he lies to you and he whispers in your ear. But when you've been baptized, you can take the devil and walk him to those baptismal waters and say, oh, slew foot, right there. I was buried with Christ and my old nature was buried in that water and I rose to newness of life. That's what it's all about. And the devil says, oh, and he leaves. Of course, he knew it all along. So it is necessary that you get baptized as soon as possible. Now, have you got it? Things that baptism is not. It is not a substitute for salvation. It is not for infants, and it is not to be delayed. Now, what is it? It's death to sin, according to our text. The Bible speaks of an old nature and a new nature. Anybody here understand those two natures? Paul did. In Romans, he said, why? The thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do, I do. And we say, oh, yes, Paul, I relate to that. It's just like me. Old nature, new nature, flesh, spirit. The problem we face is rooting out that old nature. Now, how does baptism enter into that? Well, read the text. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Old nature? No. Newness of life. Oh, there it is. Romans 6. The old nature left behind. And we walk in newness of life. The old nature is buried. The troublemaker is buried. The best thing you can do is to bury it, that old man. The fact that we are buried implies that we're covered up in a grave. And we leave that grave and go to follow Jesus. 
the bad conduct, the bad habits, the lying, the stealing, all that plagued us in the past, we leave behind. That's what it is. It's death to sin. What else is it? It's burial. Is the mode of baptism important? Read my lips. Yes. Yes. Because without the mode of the Bible, you lose the whole significance. The meaning of it is totally ripped off if it is not by burial. You know what it is. It's like putting in the newspaper an obituary notice, which would read something like this. Glenn Cole has died to his old self and has been buried in the waters of baptism. He has now risen to live a new and Christian life. Friends, relatives, and fellow citizens will kindly note the change. That's what we do in baptism. Now, I don't know why baptism has been such a division in the church. Listen to me. Martin Luther said, in the primitive church, baptism was a total immersion or burial. John Calvin, Presbyterian theologian, said, baptize signifies to immerse, and it is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. John Wesley, founder of Methodism, said, Buried with him has to do with baptism by immersion. Dean Stanley, the Episcopalian, said, In the apostolic age, those who came to baptism came in full age, and of their own choice, those who were baptized were immersed. Bishop Bousseau, Roman Catholic theologian, said, For 1,300 years, baptism was administered by immersion. Then where in the world did all of this other come from? Man. Convenience. You see, somebody one day decided that it was very inconvenient to get buried. Why, it messed up your hair. After a $50 permanent, you go down into the water and it gets all messed up. So it would be better for another mode. <laughs> no, not better. Convenience cannot enter into this because Jesus inconvenienced himself to set the example in Matthew 3 when he walked down and presented himself to John the baptizer and John wanted not to do this. I have need to be baptized of you. But Jesus said, no, John, you have to do this. All has to be fulfilled. And he walked out into that river and he presented himself to John and John put him under the water. And when he came out of the water, the Holy Ghost descended upon him. And it was after that baptism that his ministry began, not before. You see, it can't be a thing of convenience. The ordinance requires water, according to Acts 8.36, wouldn't it be something if it read this way? And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain dirt, and the eunuch said, See, here is dirt. What doth hinder me to be baptized? It says, They came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. 
It's a cleansing agent. So it requires water. Also, it requires much water. According to John 3.23, and John also was baptizing in Anan near to Salem because there was much water there. It requires going down into the water, according to Acts 8.38, and they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And in Matthew 3.16, it requires coming up out of the water, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And in Acts 8.39, it says, and when they were come up out of the water, Philip was caught away. Now, how can you put your own feelings to all of those scriptures and say, well, I see it there, but we're going to do it another way. Baptism is burial. Or you lose all of the significant truth that the Bible gives us about the ordinance. There's one more thing that baptism is. It's self-discipline. And maybe this is one of our biggest problems. Dr. Paul Brand was a medical missionary to India and a great saint of God, but when he was young, he couldn't wake up in the morning. He was a sleeper. His sister would come in and shake his bed, wake him up, and leave only to discover five minutes later that she had to go back and shake him again. She would leave and come back at least every five minutes for 15 or more minutes trying to get Paul to get up. Now, none of you would understand that, would you? Well, he even purchased a two-bell alarm clock. That's really loud, but it didn't help at all. His sister had to come and shut it off. Well, a friend said to him one day, now, now hear this, Paul, it's because you don't really want to get up. Even when asleep, you know what you're doing, and anything you really want to do, you can do. Well, somehow that got a hold of Paul Brand's heart. So that night, he set the alarm and told his sister not to wake him up under any circumstances. The second that alarm started, boom, he was out of bed on his feet. His sister was greatly blessed. So every day he kept reducing the amount of winding until Paul was able to turn off that bell completely. And the only thing that was heard was that little click. You know, when the clock comes to that point, it just goes click. He said that would wake him up every morning. Just that little click. Never even had to set the alarm to go off. Just that click was enough. He said it was the most triumphant moment of my young life. How did it start? A friend who said it's because you don't really want to get up. Self-discipline. Now, I liken that to baptism with a lot of folk. You need to knock the devil right between the eyes by some self-discipline. You need to stop saying, I'm afraid of water. 
I'm afraid of going underwater. I'm afraid of getting up in front of people. You need to exercise some self-discipline and say, if Jesus said it, and if Jesus did it, and if it's the pattern, then I am going to do it, and I know it will bring blessing to my life. It will happen. It will happen, because that's the way he meant it to happen. And the devil hates it because he knows there's a real live one there. When self-discipline leads that person from complacency into action. All right, what should I believe about communion? Well, how about looking at what it is not first, just as we did for baptism. And we must start at exactly the same place we started with baptism. It is not a substitute for salvation. In fact, Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 11 that in the Corinthian church there were some people who were weak, some people who were sick, and some who had already died because they were taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. What does that mean? It means they had not asked for the forgiveness of their sins. And they were coming to the table with sin in their life, unworthily taking the body and blood of the Lord. And weakness and sickness and death came into the church. Now you really need to listen to this. Because nothing has changed. I am confident as surely as I'm standing on this platform, that in the church today there is weakness and there is sickness and some have died because of hypocrisy at the table. It is not a substitute for salvation. Communion is not for non-believers. It is for only those who have faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's what Paul was trying to get these Corinthians to understand so that health and wholeness could come back into their midst again. It is not to be entered into irreverently or unworthily. We are to examine ourselves. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. In the communion, we do not say, Lord, would you please touch that person down on the end of the pew? Would you please touch my companion? You know how miserable they are. Let a man examine himself and then let him eat and then let him drink. Well, what is it? It's a place where we ratify our relationship with our Lord. You see, baptism was to be once. Communion was to be in this form. As oft as ye do this, do it in remembrance of me. Now, he didn't say it had to be once a week or once a day. He didn't give any parameters to the amount of times that communion was to be observed. But he said, as often as you do it, whatever is decided upon, do it in remembrance of me. It is to ratify our relationship with the Lord. What are we saying when we take those emblems? I am identified with Jesus Christ. He's mine and I'm his. I will live for him and I will die for him. I ratify my relationship with Christ through these emblems. 
So you see, it's necessary to do it as often as possible. What else is it? It's the place of spiritual strength. I have said to people many times, I believe the reason that I have been able to maintain spiritual life as well as physical health through the years can be traced to the communion table. To understand that when we partake, we are partaking in the very life of Christ. You're not going to be weaker, you're going to be stronger. You're not going to be doubting, you're going to be believing. So the strength of Christ becomes ours in the communion like in no other place that you could ever find. What is it? It's a challenge to right living. You see, on Monday, I've got to be careful what this hand touches because on Sunday, I touch the body of the Lord in the communion. On Tuesday, I have to be careful what these lips speak. I don't want to speak spirit-grieving words because these lips touch the blood of the Lord in the communion on Sunday. And so I have a motivation to write living like nothing else could give me through the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, thank God, it's a thanksgiving service. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. Why do we celebrate Memorial Day? To remember those who gave their life that we might be free. Why do we celebrate the death of Jesus? Because He gave His life that we might be free. This do in remembrance of me. In the Old Testament, the Passover for the Jew was exactly that, a memorial of the deliverance from the sword of the angel. The death angel passed by because the blood was on the doorposts and the lintels of the homes. There was no death in the Jewish residence. So now when we come in this era to the table of the Lord and we take those emblems, it's a memorial that the blood has caused the death angel to pass by. We're not dying. We're alive unto God through Christ. And heaven is our home. Life is full, meaningful, even as Jesus said it would be. For the Christian, a time of thanksgiving is so important when we consider we've passed from death unto life. I can't thank him enough for that. You can't educate yourself to bring that about. You can't work yourself to bring that about. But through the sacrifice of Christ, it comes to pass. And in the communion, we say, we have passed. From death and life we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The time of memorial. During World War I in France, two American soldiers were seated at an iron-like table on a French sidewalk having lunch. As they looked up, they saw a rickety old cart being pulled by a horse, coming down the street. And behind that rickety old cart was a little lady, 
obviously a mourner. Draped over the coffin on that cart was a French flag. It was obvious to those American soldiers eating their lunch on the sidewalk that this coffin contained the body of a French boy who gave his life in the war and his mother was walking behind all by herself on the way to the grave. Their hearts were stirred as they saw her all alone and they got up from their lunch and they went out and got in behind her and began to walk with her toward the cemetery. As they went along, other American soldiers began to see what was taking place, and they too filed in behind. And then French soldiers who had been returned from the front line, some of them wounded, obviously saw these Americans honoring the dead, and they too got in line. And they went all the way to the cemetery, and when the body was lowered into the ground, that mother finally turned around. Up to this time, she had not done so. She was so in mourning and concentrating on what was happening. She had not looked behind her, and as she turned around, she suddenly saw these hundreds of soldiers, American and French, standing there with their hats off, honoring her son. He had not died in vain. They were appreciative and grateful and responsive and tender to the supreme sacrifice he had made. I don't know of a better picture than that for our message today. Like as Christ died and was buried, we are baptized into his death. We identify with him. We're grateful. We're tender. We're responsive. We go to the baptismal waters to die with Him so that we might be raised with Him to new life. As oft as ye do this, do it in remembrance of Me. We get in line and we say, if it had not been for Him, I would die hopelessly, eternally, but because of Him, I live. Not only today, but eternally, I live. And we respond at the communion table and identify with the only one who could pay the supreme sacrifice for our redemption, a holy Son of the living God. We go to the cemetery but hallelujah, on the third day, the stone rolls away and he comes out of that tomb more alive than ever, never to be defeated again. And he's coming back riding on a white horse in power and in victory with his saints behind him to set up a kingdom on earth where there will be no sin. A kingdom that is eternal. And somehow in His divine grace, He has included me in that. And He lets me identify by baptism and by communion.
And as I am obedient, power. Bring on all the devils. Bring on all the imps from hell. They will not move me. I have been buried with him in baptism. I have been raised to newness of life. I take those emblems to identify with one who took the keys of death, of hell, and the grave right out of the devil's hand. And he said, they're mine, and you'll never have them. They're mine. Now, why do we wait? Why are we so disobedient? Why do we get so hung up on who's right in this doctrine matter instead of just coming back to the book and saying, what does this book say about baptism and communion? In closing, what I have shared with you today is absolutely life-transforming. There are scores of you who need to move to the baptismal class. There are hundreds of you who have missed the communion services time and again to your own detriment and weakness and sickness. And you need to begin to obey and to let the power that God has put innately in these ordinances to be released in you. Those of you who are watching us by television, you need to find a Bible-based church. And you need to follow through, just like all of us here in Sacramento are going to follow through. You pick up that telephone and call the number you see. There will be a caring person who will pray with you and encourage you. And if you need to know where a good Bible-believing church is, I think we can help you wherever you live. Do it now. Friends, this is a time of moving toward Jesus. Will you join me in that march toward obedience, toward release, toward health? Bow your heads with me, please. Before I pray, how many of you in the sanctuary would like to say with an upraised hand, Pastor Cole, I need Jesus Christ so much. I know I need to pass from death unto life. I need to receive Christ into my life. I know I'm a sinner. And I know Jesus died to save me. Would you raise your hand right now where you sit and say, pray for me, just as people did earlier this morning. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Lift them up until I see them. Then you may put them back down. Thank you right here in the center. Two hands. God bless you back there, over here, over there. Over to my left, way back. God bless you. Up in the balcony, yes. All over this building, up there, people are raising their hands. Back over here, God bless you. God bless you. Jesus loves you. Listen, even before I pray, would you get up out of your seat? Our staff will be here in front waiting for you. Will you get up and come right now? Those of you who just raised your hands, I want to give you some material. I want to help you. We want to pray with you. And I want you right here so I can pray when you're right close to me. Would you get up right now and come? People won't mind you slipping out from where you're sitting. Just come on. Hundreds have done it before you. Just come. Now, while they're coming, how many of you would lift a hand and say, Pastor, I put off this baptism.
I've never been immersed, but I believe in Christ as my Savior. Would you raise your hand and just admit that? Raise it up right now. Yes, 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 yes. Those of you need to come over here by the flag to my right. Get the material for water baptism. We have baptismals every Sunday night. Be baptized. Would you come over to the flag? Florence Levitt is over there to give you the material and you can be a part of this. If you can't be here tonight, take the material and be here next Sunday night. But come, because it's true what I've said to you today. And how many of you would say, Pastor, I'm not going to miss the communion. I have not been faithful, but I see how important it is and I want to raise my hand. Would you do that right now? Good, 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 good. God bless you. Important. Now, Lord, I pray for these. I pray for these at this altar before we sing. I pray for these. I pray for those who are moving toward the baptismal service and those who are moving toward the communion table by a decision they have made. We're going to make these things important in our lives. Bring salvation to the lost. Bring healing to the sick through these emblems that you've given us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. We're going to sing, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Sing, and if you still need to come, we'll wait before we dismiss this service. You come as we sing. Everybody following Pastor Sack.